0: Chapter 10. The Farm in the Hills. The woman glanced up and saw him coming, then looked quickly and uncertainly toward the house and up at him again, in a way that suggested, even at that distance, that she was startled, as well she might be, Beric thought, for it was not likely that many strangers found their way up here among the hills. Then she set the bucket down and stood waiting for him, hands on hips. "'Good fortune on the house and on the woman of the house,' Beric greeted her courteously when having found his way between the goatfold and the fly-loud dung heap, he reached the farmyard. Good fortune they need, with the master of the house forever off on his own affairs and leaving the vines to go to ruin, said the woman. She was a little wizened rat of a woman with a narrow, fierce face, but her manner, though harsh, was not unfriendly as she looked at Beric. If you have business with my man, you have come on a fool's errand, for he is from home as usual. Beric shook his head. "'I have no business with your man. "'I'm going north to to see my sister, who is sick, "'and I must have missed my way. And "'Seeing this place, if it's the Aurelian Way you've missed, "'you have indeed. "'It is three miles and more over yonder,' the woman interrupted, pointing. "'You'll hardly get back before dusk, "'and there is no inn before the next twenty-mile station.' Beric's mouth twisted a little. "'The lack of an inn is small odds to me, for I have no money.' I i came away in something of a hurry, you see. The woman looked at him shrewdly, uncomfortably shrewdly, but with a sort of contemptuous kindliness. So you came away in something of a hurry, did you? And by the looks of you, somebody tried their best to stop you coming away at all. Then as Beric remained silent, she laughed. Nay, now I have no interest in what you are, nor how you came away. What is it that you want? Beric's gaze dropped to the bucket. There was milk in it, and he had hoped there might be. If you could spare me a drink of milk, he said, and some rags to tie at my feet. It's a long time since I went barefoot. The woman glanced down, noticing the tattered remains of the light sandals he wore and the spot of blood oozing out from the cut under his big toe, and her fierce face softened a little. You can have your drink of milk, she said almost defiantly, and the rags. I have work waiting for me in the house, and if you'll fold the goats and do one or two other odd jobs for me so that I can get on with it. I will give you a bite to eat too, and you can sleep in the night in one of the outhouses. She gave him the bucket and let him drink his fill of the warm sweet goat's milk, then telling him, you'll have no trouble with the goats if you whistle for them. See to them first and come and tell me when it's done. She took back the bucket and with a final fierce nod departed into the house. Almost dizzy with relief and weariness combined, Beric set himself to fold the goats, which was done easily enough. For his first whistle, the big herd Billy came down to the fold of his own accord, and with his she-goats and their kids behind him. At the woman's orders, he fetched water from the stream, broke up and brought in wood from the house for the, the woodpile, and then she called him in to his promised supper. The smoke-blackened house-place had the same depressed and ramshackle air as the whole farm, but a cheerful fire burned in the hearth from which some of the smoke found its way out through the hole in a roof, while the rest hung in a dense blue cloud among the rafters. And the woman pointed Beric to a stool beside the fire and gave him barley bread and strong goat's milk cheese and radishes so hot that they brought tears to his eyes. She let him eat in peace and he and asked no question until he was unutterably grateful. The, fresh, the food put fresh life into him, and presently he began to look about him and notice things that he had been too dazed with weariness to notice at first. Small things that puzzled him. He noticed that the little fierce woman, who had sat down to her spinning, had her faded and dirty tunic clasped at the shoulder with a brooch of goldsmith's work that he did not think the Lady Papaya would have been ashamed to wear. He noticed that a shawl over a nearby chest against the wall though it was too dirty, was a thing of flower petal colors glimmering with silver thread. It seemed strange that such things could have come from the profits of a half-derelict farm. The wine that she had given him in an earthen cup was not the sour, muddy stuff that he would have expected either, and surely there were more benches and stools about than seemed likely, as though there were often company here and then the warmth and food combined into a sleepiness that welled up in him so that he noticed nothing more. He found that it was dark, and the woman had lit a little lamp and was telling him impatiently to come with her, and she, he got up like an obedient dog and lurched after her. She opened a door at the far end of the room and led him through, holding the lamp high. You can sleep here, she said. I dare swear you'll have slept in worse places. Looking hazily round him in the lamplight, Beric thought that he certainly had. It was a storm of sorts, but not disused like the last, like the one he had been in imprisoned the last night. Flower baskets were stacked in one corner, the earthen floor moon pale around their bases. There were oil jars and a few spare farm implements, a stack of yellow dried pumpkins, a couple of tall wine jars and a rough stand. In another corner were a pile of rough-dressed goat skins with the hair still on them, and the woman pointed to these. "'You can make yourself a bed there. Don't go damaging the skins. I want to sell them.' you shall have some rags for your feet in the morning. And before Beric could get out of a sleep-blurred word of thanks, she was gone. The door rattled to behind her, and he was alone in the dark. Taking his direction from the pale window square high in the wall, he groped his way over to the corner she had pointed out, and lay down, rolling himself in his cloak and pulling a couple of the ill-smelling skins over him. The door was a bad fit, and from where he lay, he could see a broad crack of gold all down one side of it, which was a friendly thing to see in the darkness. He stretched out, settling his head on his arm, and the warm black waves of sleep engulfed him. How long he slept, he had no idea. He woke with a crash to a confusion of sounds, to loud voices and tramping footsteps behind the ramshackle door, and a sense of danger thrusting in and out of the night. One of the voices was that of a woman, of the woman, raised and startled. Milo, I thought you were working the Alban Hills. What in the name of Typhon brings you back into these parts so soon? A man's voice answered with a deep, reckless note of laughter in it. "'What but your eyes?' wrote Ape. The woman gave an impatient snort. "'I suppose you have run into trouble.' "'Trouble enough,' another voice answered grumblingly. "'We got word of a rich caravan, but Floris mishandled his end of the business, "'and when we came on them, they had twice the escort we were prepared for. "'So we lost Carpus and the Cyclops and got not so much as a denarius "'or a dab of spikenard in exchange.' And now Junius has split the band up again until the breeze dies down. So here we come, back to our old hunting grounds, a third voice cut in. And behold, there was a brutal laugh and a jingling as of a bag of coins being rattled up and down. The luck changes on the first day. The small bands are the best, after all. Put it in the usual place, said the woman, and don't tempt your luck by crowing about it. She, You seem not overjoyed to see us, Rhoda pay. It was the man she had called Milo. Would you by any chance have been entertaining a tribune of the watch behind our backs? Rhodope laughed half angrily. You startled me. I was not expecting you, and I thought you might be robbers. There was a roar of appreciation at the jest, and Beric, rigid on his elbow in the dark, realized that there must be six of the men at their very least. Well, now that you are here, I suppose you'll be wanting food, the woman said ungraciously. Food, yes. Wine, food and wine, much wine. Several voices answered her, rising together in a ragged clamor that had unmistakably the note of the wolf pack in it. Bring us wine, Rodepe. Much wine to keep us happy while you make ready the food. There was a confused sound of stools and benches being scraped on the earthen floor, and men flinging themselves down and stretching out their legs, and the chink and rattle of weapons being laid aside. When Rhodope spoke again, it was just—it was from just outside the storeroom. You can start on with what's in that jug. I'll be back with some more before it's empty. She opened the door and slipped quickly through, closing it behind her. And next instant, she was bending over Barrack, who, doing the only thing he could think of, had dropped flat, shut his eyes as she opened the door. He could hear her breathing, and the light of the lamp was carried shone red through his closed lids. There was a moment's tingling pause, and then, No need to pretend to be asleep, she whispered. None but the dead could sleep through this uproar. Beric opened his eyes, screwing them open against the swimming dazzle of light and saw her face hovering over him, fierce as a dagger thrust. You are a runaway slave, aren't you? She whispered. Then savagely, as he made to spring up, lie still, you young fool. If you want to be to see the sunrise, I will not give you up to the watch. I've been a slave myself, nor I'll give you up to the wolves in there, because being what you are, "'You cannot carry tales of this house to the watch, "'for the watch would as leaf get their hands on you "'as they would on us. "'So you can thank your gods if you have any "'for the white mark of the slavering on your arm, "'for it has saved your throat tonight. "'You understand?' Beric nodded wordlessly. "'Someone beyond the door had begun to sing "'and the woman glanced toward the sound and hurried on. "'If they knew you were here, "'even that would not save you, "'for they are lads that take no chances. "'But if you lie still, no harm will come to you and they'll be gone by dawn then you can go on your way she nodded once fiercely as though to drive her point home and turning away took down a great jug from a shelf and began to fill it from one of the wine jars in the corner the voices in the room were growing impatient as she had reached out to the lamp which she had set down and quenched it then she took up the wine jug and opened the door the voices seemed to rush in upon Beric and then fall back again as it closed behind her "'The men greeted her reappearance with loud complaints "'that she had been gone a long time "'and the jug was empty. "'The glim went out,' Beric heard her say. "'It will have done you no harm "'to draw breath between swallows.' "'So long as we have the wherewithal to swallow now,' "'someone said.' "'But for a while, Beric lay frozen, "'every nerve in his body on the stretch, "'listening to the grumble of voices in the next room "'where the men seemed to have settled into a quieter mood "'than the boisterous one in which they had arrived.' catching the smell of frying meat and the strong whiff of garlic and watching with strained eyes the crack of smoky lamplight down the side of the door. Then his utter weariness overcame him and uneasily, by fits and starts, he began to drowse. He tried desperately to keep awake, afraid that if he slept, he might roll over with a thud or fling out an arm and overset something and so betray himself. But it was no good. Little by little, sleep claimed him once more. Yet again, he was roused with a start. This time by the bleeding of the big herd Billy, taken up by the shriller bleeding of the other goats in the fold. Almost in the same instant, he heard a startled curse from the next room, a few muttered words followed by swift and stealthy movements, and then the crack of light went out. There was a scraping sound, as of chest being dragged from the wall, and a few moments later, dragged back again. And almost before it ceased, there came a quick tramping outside, a crisp order, and then a thunder of blows against the houseplace door that ended in a splintering crash as it burst open, and then a rush of heavily shod feet. Beric was up and crouching by the door by that time, and squinting through the crack. The room was in darkness, save for the red embers of the dying fire, but he could see that it was full of men, and certainly not the men who had been there before. "'Lights!' someone was demanding. "'Licinius, get a light, man!' "'Hell and furies, how can we rout them out in the dark?' Someone thrust a torch into the red embers and began to whirl it aloft, and it sputtered into life, casting a fierce and fitful glare onto the bronze shoulder pieces and naked sword blades and the crimson crest of a centurion's helmet. Men were scattering and questing to and fro in obedience to sharply wrapped-out orders. Typhon, take those goats, the centurion swore. If they had not given the alarm, we should have had the whole pack. We'll have them yet, sir, said his second. They'll not get past the lads outside. But Beric had already turned from the door to the high pell square of the window, his one thought to make his escape before it was too late. For the second time in a day and a night, he reached for the high sill of a storeroom window and swung himself up. It was a larger window than had been the other had been, and he climbed through without trouble, stiff and sore though he was, and literally dropped into the arms of the legionaries who had drawn a cordon around the house. Here's one of them, anyhow, said a cheerful voice, and then sharpening, Would you now? Oh, no, you don't, my beauty. Berk kicked out wildly and ducked under the man's arms towards the shelter of the scrub that came near to the studding walls. But another man rose in his path, and as he swerved, the first was upon him from behind, bringing him crashing down. He fought like a mountain cat for his liberty, but more men closed in on him, and despite all his frantic struggling, his arms were twisted behind him, and he was dragged to his feet. Struggling still he found himself a little later standing before the centurion in the torchlit house place, which now looked as though a hurricane had hit it, and where the chest had been dragged out to reveal a square hole just large enough for one man to crawl through in the wall behind. Here's one of 'em, sir, his captor repeated. One said the centurion disgustedly, and the rest clear away, thanks to those cursed goats. He was a man with a keen, square chinned face, and he looked at the panting captive up and down. You young fool, he said contemptuously. It always ends in the galleys or the cross. What did you want to get mixed up with this lot for? I am not, Beric began furiously and checked. If he told the truth and they believed him, he would be handed back to Glaucus, and that would mean the salt mines more surely than ever now. It would mean the salt mines. If he said nothing, he would be condemned as a robber, and that would mean the galleys or the cross. But at least the galleys were better than the salt mines. And the cross, well, at least that was quick, a few days at most, sometimes only a few hours, if the centurion in charge were mercil- merciful and had his man scourged half-death beforehand. With a sudden calm of complete and utter despair, Beric made his choice. He ceased to struggle against the grip of the legionaries who held him, shook the hair out of his eyes, and stared back at the centurion, with his mouth set into a straight, defiant line. I suppose you are a runaway slave, said the centurion. Your kind usually are. Well, it's no affair of ours unless your master comes forward, and if he does, it won't help you much. How many of you were there? Was Junius the Syrian one of you? Beric said no word. You'll get nothing out of him, sir, said his optio. He is a dumb sullen. The centurion shrugged. They have their own code, these wolves of the hill. All right, take him away. Tie his hands before him. And he turned to speak to another man who had just entered. Beric was thrust back into the storeroom from which he had so lately escaped. His wrists were strapped before him, and he was left in charge of the legionary who had captured him, while the search for the rest of the band continued. The legionary was a friendly soul in his way, and seemed to bear Beric no grudge for being a robber, nor for his kick. "'You don't give me no trouble, and I won't give you no trouble, see?' he said, leaning against the doorpost and watching his charge by the light of the candle stuck on a shelf. The words were somehow familiar. And Beric, trooping against the wall, and lost in a daze of hopelessness, seemed to hear them across a long distance of time. But they were not quite right, he thought. Not quite right. And then he remembered. You don't turn difficult and I don't jerk this rope, see? Ben Malachi's man had said that on the evening that Beric was sold into the Piso household. You don't turn difficult, and I don't men came and went through the house place. Outside, they were beating the thick scrub that swept down the farm walls, but they would not get anyone now. The robbers must have their own ways through the interlacing mass to the cover of the woods beyond. He was glad that they would not get Rodope, who had given him food and let him sit by the fire and hidden him from the others. The goats had stopped bleeding. He wondered if the legionaries had killed them. The sky beyond the little window was beginning to pale to the color of an Soon it would be day. It would be market day in Rome, he remembered, and he wondered where he would be next market day. Someone stuck a head in at the door and said, bring him along, we're marching." anymore? asked Beric's guard as he straightened up. The other spat disgustedly. Neither hide nor hair of a one. The scrub is riddled with runs. They marched Beric out of the storeroom, out of the house. They thrust him into the midst of a score of legionaries who were falling in in the farmyard. A defiant bleat sounded from the hillside above and Beric noticed that the gold fold was empty. Either the goats had broken out or someone had contrived to let them out. Maybe that was Rhodope. The light seemed to be growing very quickly, a fiercer and more fitful light than the dayspring. And snatching a glance over her shoulder, as the whole company moved off at a centurion's order, Beric saw that they had fired the thatch. The flames looked pale, oddly bloodless, in the dawn. After the semi darkness of the Mamertine prison in which he had been lain for four days, the sunlight was white and blinding. Beric blinked in the brightness of it that seemed to dazzle his whole head instead of only his eyes. He was standing under guard in the courtyard of one of the city's lesser low courts. He was itching all over with bug bites, and there was a maestro blowing, blowing stray bits of garbage in from the street to eddy and Russell in the corners. There had been several people tried already that morning for robbing or fire raising, giving short weight or cutting purses in the lower city. It was a growing late, and the magistrate in charge was in a hurry. And now they were trying Beric, trying him as one of the band of Junius the Syrian, which had robbed a merchant on the Aurelian Way six nights ago. The only one, unfortunately, who had been rounded up. The merchant himself, who with his head had heavily bandaged, had just given evidence, could not swear to it that Beric had been one of the band who had attacked him, but as it had been dusk and he had been taken by surprise and hit on the head from behind, that proved nothing, and his slaves had been too busy running to be any more help. Not that it mattered very much. The robbery had been carried out by the band of Junius, Beric was obviously a member of the band. The centurion who had captured him described how he had been taken trying to escape from the robber's hideout. Therefore, he must surely be guilty of the robbery. And then the time came for the prisoner's defense. There was none. Beric had wondered sometimes while he was in prison, what would happen if he could get word to Lady Lucia? But anything that the Lady Lucia might do to help him would deliver him again to Glaucus and the salt mines. Just as surely as though Glaucus himself should chance to walk through the law court at this moment. Beric had stubbornly to his choice all these five days, but now he suddenly wished that he had not, and a wild fear of what was coming rose in him. If it should be the cross, from the salt mines he might escape no one ever did, but still he might but if it were the cross, there would be no time. He started forward. Opening his mouth to cry out that he was not a robber, and that he was a slave of the house of Publius Lucianus Piso and had run away, and that he was in the farm when it was raided only because the woman Rhodope had given him shelter for the night. But one of his guards drove a hand across his mouth, bidding him shut, and the moment passed. And now the judge, who was certainly in a hurry, was summing up. He was a very large man with a puffy face that looked as though it was made of tallow. And in a fretful manner, he was behind time. And Jupiter alone knew when he would get home to his midday meal. For even when the wretched youth had been found guilty, there would still be the matter of his sentence to settle. He thought about the sentence while he waited in mounting impatience for the jury to make up their minds. He would have liked to make it the cross and for some relief for his feelings at being kept from his waiting meal. But he was a conscientious man. The boy was obviously strong and built for endurance, and since the plague in the autumn, the Navy was temporarily a little short of galley slaves. The jury had made up their minds and were casting their votes by marked tablets dropped in a jar. An official brought the jar and set it before the judge and began to count. Guilty. Berk lipped dry lips. And while the judge and his assistants bent their heads together, Then the moment came, and the judge turned his tallowy face full upon him. Prisoner, for the hideous crime of which you have been convicted, we sentence you to the galleys, there to row at the oar, henceforth, until your life's end. Beric had wondered what he would feel when the moment came. He felt nothing. He noticed very clearly the exact color, gray-blue over milky green, of a wilting cabbage leaf, which the maestro had blown against the foot of a column nearby the sharply frilled edge of it, and the rim of shadow that followed its outline so faithfully underneath. He knew that he would never forget the color of that cabbage leaf, nor the way the big veins branched, nor the rim of shadow under the edge.